Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us today. We are going into the next message of our recent series called Different. Last week we talked about different faith, that, that, our, that Jesus calls us as Christians to a different faith than anything the world has to offer. And, and he, he showed us this faith when he addressed the religious leader's question about whose authority he came on. And, and he has a different authority because he is God, but he also is, expresses that authority through his humanity. And, and so we saw last week that through Jesus, we are different because our destination has been different, has been made different by him. And we, we kind of started that off by seeing that our, our faith is different because of Jesus. But more than anything, the message that I really wanted to get out of this series is the message we're diving into this morning. That because our faith is different, our citizenship is different as well. And this might be a difficult message for us to hear especially as patriots, as, as people who are really emphatic about our country, that love America, it, it might be difficult for us to hear that while we are citizens of earth, while we are citizens of this country, this, this great country that we are a part of, we're ultimately and more importantly citizens of heaven. And that citizenship makes us different. And so I hope that you are ready to tackle this question this morning, that you're ready to dive into this. Um, it's, it's one that I think is very important for us today. And so before we dive into it, let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, move us this morning. Work within us right now as we dive into your word, as we see that your son was different, that he had your authority, that he professed what it means to have a different faith, but that faith extends into a difference of citizenship. And that means that we have a, a different kingdom in mind as we live our lives. God, this morning, speak through your word. Speak through me. Let your voice be heard. And let it move us as followers of you, as, your, as people who are adherers to your kingdom. God, give us wisdom. Give us strength as we tackle this difficult question. God, thank you for the love that you have for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, you know, there's, there's always a time in our life when we come to the point of realization that there is someone who has authority over us. And maybe it's when you were a kid, you finally come to the point that, that you can't boss your parents around because they have authority over you. Or you can't get away with doing what you want in school because your teachers have authority over you. Or maybe you get to your job and you realize your boss tells you, has the final say, they hold authority over you. They, they kind of dictate your, your, move, your moves. And, and we come to this realization that no matter what position we are in life, there's always someone that's going to have more authority than us. And if you say, well, the president doesn't have anyone over him or, or a really rich businessman doesn't have any authority over him, well, I, I think you could still find that that isn't the case. You know, the president of the United States is still, the, the Constitution has authority over him. Uh, businessmen still have the Constitution over them. And, and ultimately, God's sovereignty has authority over all. But if, if we address this on a smaller scale, we can see this within smaller, ver smaller scale versions of authority within our lives. And, and 
what we're actually here in a, in a few weeks after homecoming and after uh, I, I'll be gone the following Sunday, the, the, the 27th, when I come back, we'll be starting a new series called The Three Spheres of Authority. And that we'll, we'll be talking about Paul's view of, of authority. And, and he breaks it down into three, three spheres, government authority, uh, religious authority, and familial, family authority. And, and you can see in these three spheres that each one has another role of, of governing authorities. And when they cross over into each other, that's when you have problems. We'll get to that in a few weeks as, as we come up to that next uh, series that we'll be doing. But for today, I want to just kind of speak to us about authority and, and what it is and, and how we know who has authority over us and what, what determines that authority and how we approach that authority. And I think the best example of authority on a small scale is in, within a marriage. And, and Paul talks about marriage, and he says the father is the head of the household, the father makes the decisions, the father's kind of the, the buck stops at the father. But more importantly, the father and the mother, the husband and the wife, they work hand in hand with one another. They work hand in hand, and even though the, the father might be the authority figure, he stands on the shoulders of the mother. She's the one that is kind of helping him and embracing him and, and keeping him up. That's, that's a picture of a, of a perfect relationship. But when it comes to a marriage, you might not, if you ask any husband or any, anyone that is in a healthy marriage, who it is that kind of has the final say, I don't think they're going to, a wise husband's not going to say, I have the final say on all things. They're, they're going to say, well, my wife kind of, I, I do... I, I, I want to do what she wants because I want a happy life. And, and you realize this, you know, you, you could, it's one thing to, to understand this uh, on paper. It's another thing to actually understand it from experience. And I've, I've only been married now for about, for li- little over two years. And I came to this realization about who has, you know, final say in things in the marriage. When I was about six months into our marriage, we had gone home for Christmas, and every year prior, I had gone home for Christmas um, from school or from from taking a break from uh, from ministry, just as a vacation. I'd go home for Christmas break, and I I would always use that time to spend you know a couple days with my family, and then also go out and see and hang out with friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And and my vacation really didn't have a lot of relaxation in it because I was always going every which way and doing every every little thing to to kind of see people and hang out with them and and catch up. And the first year of my marriage, the first time Isabella and I went home for Christmas, for when we were married for vacation. I, I guess I just assumed that everything was going to be the same. And I, I remember I had made plans for like three days in a row of I was going to do something this evening, I was going to do something this afternoon, I was going to do something this evening. And, and I would always wake up that morning and say, hey, this, turn over to Isabel and say, hey, this is what I'm doing for the day. I'm going here, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And finally, after like three days, she said, Garrett, you cannot just... Tell me the day of what you're doing. We, we're in this together. You can't just leave me behind. You, you're, you can't just you know, choose to do everything you want and not choose to be with me. And so this was the first point in my marriage that I realized you know, 
if I want a happy life, if I want a happy marriage, I have to choose Isabella. I have to choose my marriage. I have to choose my wife over, over other aspects of my life. And that, that kind of is a, that's a thing about authority, especially when it comes into, into our life, is we need to choose to follow it. We need to choose to adhere to it. And what we looked at last week, you know, this, this piece of illustration from marriage about choosing Isabella, about choosing my marriage, choosing my wife over other things that, you know, I might have previously done before I was married, ties into our faith and ties into what it means to be different, what it means to adhere to a different authority now in our new life. Last week, we saw that Jesus addressed the authority question with the religious leaders of his day, and he, he declared that through him there's a new authority, that, that his followers will follow. And then we looked at Hebrews, and we saw that Jesus presented a new covenant, and those that follow Christ are a part of that new covenant, that he has become our authoritative figure in the new covenant. But the thing about this new faith, the thing about us being different in this faith, is that we have to choose him. Now, there's going to be other things that, that might come up even after we've chosen to follow Jesus. There's going to be temptations to go one way or the other. There's going to be temptations to, to pick other things over Jesus. And so we have to constantly choose him in our faith. And it's not just our faith. But we have to choose him in our citizenship as well. And we see that Jesus addressed not only faith, and in, in, the, in the passage we talked about from Matthew last week, we saw that Jesus addressed what it means to have a different faith, what it, what it means to choose his kingdom, his, his, his relationship that he's bringing on over anything else in the world. But today, in the same thread of conversations with religious leaders, he also addresses what it means to choose his citizenship to choose his governmental authority. And, and this is an important question for us as Christians. If Jesus is our authority in our faith, well, how do we choose an authority on earth? Who, who do we owe allegiance to as a kingdom of earth? Okay, And, and Jesus addresses this, this, addresses this question. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 15 today, and he addresses this, this question of the difference between earthly authority and choosing earthly citizenship and heavenly citizenship. So let's pick up here in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap Jesus by what he had said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you are truthful and you teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. So tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, this question is a very important question. And it was an important question to the Jews. It's an important question to us today. And the reason it is important is because within the time of the context, the Jews were asking this question because they were experiencing a time where they had to choose whether or not they were going to follow the citizenship 
of the Roman Empire and obey the Roman Empire and adhere to them, or they were going to, or were they going to adhere to God and to their citizenship, to the state of Israel and to the nation of God? And so this question was very important for the Jews, but it's also extremely important for us as well because it's a question of, hey, do we follow the citizenship of Christ and the kingdom that he is preparing, or do we follow the citizenship that we are a part of right now? Can the two go hand in hand? What, what does it mean to follow one or the other? You know, the Jews asked Jesus this question, and in order to understand the question and the trap behind the question and Jesus' answer to the question, we have to understand a little bit of context to the question. At this time, when the Jews asked, asked this, when the religious leaders approached Jesus, and asked this question, there was a lot of animosity and tension between the Jewish people and the Roman occupation. See, the Jewish nation was established to be a theocracy, meaning that they worshipped God, but God was also their king. So anytime they paid taxes, anytime they gave submission to someone, they were... They, they were submitting to God, who was also their king. But no longer were they a sovereign nation. They had been conquered by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was controlling their land, they were controlling Palestine, and, and that meant that they had to pay taxes to Rome. And Rome had, had three different types of taxes that the, the Jewish people paid. There was something called a ground tax, which was they had to pay a tenth of everything they pulled out of the ground, if it was grain or, or wheat or barley or something like that, and they had to pay a fifth of any type of oil or, or wine that they, or, or vinegar that they produced. That, that was the ground tax. So anyone that, was, that made money as a merchant growing these things, they had to pay a significant tax of it to Rome. And then there was the income tax, which anything that you made to survive, you had to pay 1% of it back to Rome. And then lastly, there was something called the poll tax, P-O-L-L, poll tax. And that was you had to pay each person, a, a male between the ages of 14 and 65, and a female between the ages of 12 and 65, had to pay one denarii to Rome per year. That was just, they had to do that. That was, that was a tax that they had to pay, and it equated basically to a, a day's earnings, of, of that time period. And the Jewish people are saying, listen, Jesus, we pay a lot of taxes to Rome. And, and all of these taxes that we pay to Rome, you know, as a theocracy, as people that, that worship God, aren't we supposed to be paying these taxes to him as, instead? If we are paying these taxes to Caesar, if we are paying these taxes to Rome, aren't we just implicitly saying that Caesar, the emperor, is also our God? And so there's a huge struggle between the Jewish nation and paying taxes and adhering to Rome while also trying to adhere to God. And there was even some, some Jewish fanatics that refused to pay taxes to Caesar because they were refusing to submit to him because they didn't want to stop submitting to God. And so there's this big, this welling up tension between the Jewish state and Rome, and the religious leaders knew that. 
And they trapped Jesus by this question because their thought was, okay, either he's going to say, don't pay taxes to Rome, which will make him an insurgent against Rome, and Rome can arrest him because he's inciting, uh, he, he's inciting people to, to not pay their taxes, or he's going to say, pay your taxes to Rome, and then all the people who are supporting him, we're going to start, stop supporting him because they're going to say that he doesn't really follow God, that he isn't really following the theocracy of the Jewish nation. See, that was in the mind of the religious leaders. That was the trap that he, they were trying to catch him in. But Jesus presents to us with his answer what it means to be citizens of heaven first while also being citizens of earth. Listen to what he says. He says, Perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then, he, then Jesus said to him, Give to Caesar then the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. Jesus' response to the religious leaders was something they didn't expect. He found a way for, for him to have both sides of, this, of the coin answered. What Jesus is saying is he took this coin from the people and the coinage of that time always had an inscription of the king, of the emperor, of the ruler who, owned the, who minted the coin. And he said, who, whose face is on this? Everyone could see it was Caesar's. He said, well, it's Caesar's. No, he's the ruler. He's the authoritative figure. Just give it back to him. No, we are citizens of earth. We are citizens of we, we are behold to this empire. We belong to this society, to this, this earthly kingdom. Now, if we want to be good, responsible citizens, then we need to be a part of that, and we need to do our, due, do our diligence in staying a part of that. They're providing a service for us. They might not be providing it well, but it's our obligation. It's our responsibility. It's our moral calling to do what we're asked to do. He says to just give the little that they're asking for us. But more importantly, he says, give to God what is God's. Give to God the worship and adoration that belongs to him. Don't give that to Caesar. Give to God the praise and glory of all things. Don't give that to Caesar. Give to God your trust and your absolute Faith in him. Don't give that to Caesar. Give to God your full-out allegiance because you belong to him more than you belong to an earthly ruler. See, money and, and finances and power and, and possessions, those are all earthly things. Those are all things that belong and are tied to the fate of earth. So give those to whoever desires them on earth, but give to God the heavenly things, the eternal things, the things that don't rust or decay, because those belong to him. And so in his response to the religious leaders, Jesus is advocating 
a dual citizenship. He's saying, yeah, we are citizens of earth. Yeah, we are occupied by Rome. We, we ought to pay our taxes to them. We do need to give what we owe to them. But that's a side. We just give them what our responsibility is. But we give to God the things that don't fade away. We give to God the things that are eternal. We give to God the things that don't destroy or rust or just disintegrate. Jesus is saying all this because he wants to allude to a kingdom that doesn't pass away. He's saying we are dual citizenships, dual, dual citizens. We are part of a kingdom, of, of an earth, of a world that will fade. But more importantly, we're part of a kingdom that won't fade. And so we you know, need to give to the kingdom that will fade the things that will fade. But we shouldn't stock up those things. Because what we should be focusing on are the things that don't pass away. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, would have heard Jesus talking about this all the time. And as he established and helped lead the church after Jesus ascended into heaven, heaven John would have begin, begun to see the church start wondering, okay, you know, the disciples and Jesus, they were claiming another kingdom. They were claiming an eternal kingdom. But right now we're living in an in a oppression of Rome. We're, we're living in a time where people are persecuting us. You know, how, do we, how do we manage the two? How do we manage a dual citizenship? And, and in one of John's letters to the church, he writes about this same topic that Jesus is talking to the religious leaders about. Listen to what he says in, in John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, with its lusts, and pa- with, with its lusts is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. John is writing to the church, and he's saying, you know, we do live in the world. We are citizens of earth. But that doesn't mean you hold on and, and worry and, and fasten yourself to these things of the world, whether it's a government, whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's power or, or prestige. You hold on instead to the things that don't pass away. Because the more you try to grip on to the things of this world, the more tied to the fate of those things you become. But when we grip on to the kingdom of God, when we grip on to the love of God, when we grip on to the authority of God, we're holding on to something that doesn't pass away. And this, this can be difficult to do. I, uh, I, I've always been a huge, well, not always, but here recently for the last couple of years, I've been, I've started to get into politics. I've, I've, you know, listened to different things that are going on in this world. I've listened to 
and, and kind of follow the things that have been happening in our country. And I actually, even for a while, up until this past March, I had a favorite political analyst that I would listen to and I would read and watch his videos and, and I would do that for about two hours a day. I would listen to him and watch him. And I found myself, the, every day, the more I did this, I found myself growing angry and frustrated and anxious stressed out, and I came to the realization that all these emotions were welling up inside of me, because I was worrying myself over something that is belonging to this world. And that doesn't just happen with politics, but it happens with money, it happens with, with goals and aspirations that are tied to this world. It happens with our desires. When, when those things are rooted in an earth, in, a, in our earthly citizenship, we won't find eternal satisfaction in them. And it's just going to bring stress. It's going to bring anxiety. It's going to bring anger. I was stressed out because I was listening to all the bad things that were going on, and all I could think about is how am I supposed to minister and live in a world like this? And I was anxious because I didn't know what was going to happen the next day as I kept listening to this political radio. And I was angry because I just couldn't see, why can't everyone think like I think? Why can't everyone see this how I see it? But the issue is when we are so focused on earthly citizenship, when we're focused on earthly kingdoms, when we're focused on earthly possessions, when we're focused on earthly desires, when we're focused on anything that is tied to the fate of this earth, we cannot find eternal satisfaction. And yes, Jesus tells us we are citizens of earth, and we should be responsible, and we have a moral obligation to do what is right, and to follow Jesus while being citizens of earth. But if we attach ourselves to this earth and grip ourselves to this earth and this citizenship more tightly than we grip ourselves to heaven, we will not live out the difference that Jesus has called us to. And we'll be stuck with earthly emotions with an earthly fate. And I don't want that to happen to the church. That's not supposed to be, that is not what Jesus desires for the church. You want to know what Jesus desires for the church? For his followers? He desires us to be in the world, but not a part of the world. In the night, night leading up before Jesus' crucifixion, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to the Father, and he prays about a bunch of different things. And this is in the Gospel of John. But Jesus gives this profound prayer specifically for his followers, for his disciples, for the people that were with him through his entire ministry. And this prayer extends to his church. It extends to us who follow Jesus. And I want to read this prayer. It's ten verses. 
But I want to read this prayer, and I want to read it over us as a church. And so if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, whatever you're doing, I want you to be still and listen to Jesus' words that he prays on our behalf. Let them sink in. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they're yours. Everything I have is yours, Father. And everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they, not, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except for the son of destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Jesus' prayer for us wasn't that we removed ourselves from the world. It wasn't that we just completely forgot our earthly citizenship. But that we remembered that while we are here, we don't belong And we need to use our heavenly citizenship, the citizenship that we have attached to the kingdom of God, we need to utilize that, we need to profess that, we need to reach out for that, we need to live for that, we need to proclaim that, while utilizing our earthly citizenship in order to get the people of earth to see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I want them to reside, to live by my truth, by your truth, by your word. It's the truth of God that's found in Scripture. It's the truth of God that only comes to completion through the kingdom of heaven. And the people of the world, the kingdoms of the world... possessions of the world, they'll all throw temptations our way. There will always be something for us to focus on here. There will always be a political war for us to have to choose a side on. There will always be someone that we can just all form up against. There will always be something new that we attach ourselves to and that we just want more than anything else. There will always be some sort of sinful desire that we want. Jesus has prayed for us. And he has said, the world hates them. The evil one is out to get them. But God be with them. They're in the world, but they're not supposed to remain in the world. We have a dual citizenship because we temporarily live here. 
The citizenship here won't matter much longer. The citizenship that will matter is the eternal one that lasts forever. And the only government, the only kingdom, the only people, the only reality, the only possessions that will last are those that are a part of the kingdom of God. And so while we're here, we should strive to the morals, we should strive to the responsibilities, to the ideals of Jesus. But we should be far more concerned with our eternal citizenship than with our earthly one. And that means that our goal as Christians should not be to win battles of politics, to win battles of supremacy, to win battles of prominence, to win battles of prosperity, but to win souls to eternity. That's why we still have our earthly citizenship. Because there are still people here that don't have a heavenly one. And we have to use our earthly citizenship to win those people to eternity. Father God, work within your church. Begin a revival within us that we don't desire anything of this world anymore, that we don't adhere strictly to anything here. Remind us that we're citizens here, but our obligation is to eternity and to reach the people here so that they see you. God, help us to start a revival within the church that reaches to the far corners of the world. Work within us. Let your spirit move abundantly through us so we desire nothing more than to be with you. Thank you for your love, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I hope you take this not as a not as a message advocating against America, against governments, but advocating for the one eternal government that the church has promised themselves to. That's the government we live for. That's the government we profess. We are not having, there will not be a sermon this next Sunday or the Sunday after that. I'll have a couple of devotional videos posted for those that can't attend homecoming and can't come in, in person on the 26th. But I hope and pray that you live for the eternal kingdom that Christ has prepared and that you use your earthly citizenship as a way to bring others to that kingdom. We'll see you next time.